Welcome back to Africa Knows. Today we're joining Henry again in Jos in central Nigeria, where he talks to Joseph Lengman, scholar of conflict and peacebuilding and director general of the Plateau State Peacebuilding Agency, a new state-level government initiative to address the incessant conflicts that have plagued the state since the 1990s. The conversation moves across all kinds of terrain from the dynamics of violence and peacebuilding to the methodological differences between African and Western scholarship. And what I find particularly interesting is how Henry and Joseph explore the boundary between scholarship and practical knowledge, as well as the tensions that rise between them. Anyway, here for yourself. Here is Joseph Langman. Joseph? You're welcome. Thank you so much, Henry. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's start the discussion. What is the Plateau State Building Agency? The Plateau State Peace Building Agency uh, represents our state's uh, dedicated institutional arrangement for conflict prevention and peace building. Yeah. It was uh, set up about uh, uh, six years ago by the current administration, and the thinking was that um, uh, we needed such a framework, uh, uh, or rather considering the uh, failure of successive administrations uh, yeah. in the past to nip in the bud issues of peace and security in Plateau State. And you recall, uh, Plateau State had had uh, different episodes of uh, violent conflict, uh, starting from 1994, 2001, 2004, 2008. You come to 2010, 12, 14, and even better part of 2015. Yeah. And so when the administration came into uh, when the Zoom office, they thought there should be a departure from the previous uh, response or responses to uh, challenges of peace and security, uh, from that reactive kind of uh, response. Response uh, to being proactive. Proactive here means speaking to issues of conflict at their Latin stage. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they set up this, the first of its kind ever to be set up by a subnational unit yeah. in Nigeria. Mm. The mandate of the agency is to uh, ensure the harmonious coexistence of all the ethno-religious groups that make up the state. Yeah. Uh, so we work with a wide range of stakeholders essentially to um, uh, resolve all conflicts, uh, to uh, even prevent new ones from happening, mm. and to uh, promote a stable, a safer, and, a, and secure community. So okay. that is what we do basically. Yes. So uh, interestingly, uh, you more or less uh, brought this uh, initiative to bear. So what was your concept plan? And how did you begin and work in trying to bring this concept up? Well, I, I think for a start, I mean, like you have introduced me uh, uh, from the onset, uh, being a part of the academia, yes. uh, I gave me some, some advantages, so I, I leveraged on my experience. Um, yeah. having, uh, <coughs> I mean, been working in, in a research environment and having also worked with different uh, organizations that in most cases uh, engage with uh, uh, academics from different parts of the world. I mean, yeah. It gave me a a, a, a profound insights yeah. into the kind of uh, challenges we are facing and how we can deal with those challenges. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the idea essentially uh, for us uh, is that we have a, a framework that allows uh, you know ordinary people to do yeah. extraordinary things for peace. Yeah. And that was the whole idea, the whole conception was that as opposed to government, 
uh, actually, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, imposing its will on the people, there's a need for uh, uh, people to be put in the center of critical decision-making processes, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, affecting their security and also affecting their, their lives, considering the nature of the challenges we are facing. So, um, uh, this is the first of its kind, like I've said, in yeah, the whole yeah, of yeah. Nigeria, mm. and the idea is to mobilize and galvanize you know, ordinary community people to work together okay. uh, to, uh, to, to deliver on the promise of peace and security as opposed to waiting for government or yeah. security agencies yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, to do that. So I, I think my background and my orientation uh, played a very significant role uh, in, in terms of uh, determining, you know, the setup, the arrangement, the framework yes. Yes. Uh, for these, um, yeah, for these, these, these uh, uh, agencies. So and let's go to the framework of the agency. Yeah. What is the ethos and what is the basic framework for the agency? Yeah. And how does that fit into both, as we said, your academic uh, garb mm -hmm. and at the same time your uh, uh, Systemic uh, girl. So the, the intersection of two worlds, I think, yes. it's it's as, as quite been valuable yes. that respect. Um, uh, I, I would say, I mean, you know, peace builders, uh, peace practitioners, will yes. always complain that uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, academics usually are. Uh, sort of cut off from the reality, yeah. empirically speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, they are theorizing and all of that. Uh, in, in most cases, though, is not resonate with the reality on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. As much as you know, as you'd uh, want academics yes. also would yes. accuse mm. peace building practitioners of uh, you know. Uh, Finding it difficult to understand the, uh, you know, the academic, the cerebral exactly, nature, but, but, but it still, but, but it still brings us to the fact that it's a mutually yes, reinforcing, yes, I believe, yes. because there is absolutely no intervention or program or activities that you design and implement that is totally out out of a certain theoretical framework. Yes, yes. In that respect, so yes. so so there is an intersection, there is an nexus, yes. there is a relationship. Right? So what what have been your framework? Well, my framework is one that, that, that brings to bear both the experience of the practitioner in the one hand and yeah. also academia in the other. Okay. Uh, 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 we believe, for example, that uh, look, um, th there is a need for us to, to really design interventions in, in ways that allows us to measure success and to track down progress. And in okay. doing that, uh, basically, there are different theoretical frameworks that are very helpful in yeah. that respect. Yeah. Whether, I mean, you talk about early warning signs yeah. and early warning responses, for yeah. example, mm. or you talk about uh, facilitated dialogue. Uh, yeah. You talk about the the potential role of peace spoilers in peace processes. Yeah. So peace spoilers, that's an interesting phrase. Exactly. Yeah, peace spoilers. You yes. know? So because um, they have they have a very strong factor in determining the success mm. of any uh, you know peace building effort. And, I, and and from practical viewpoint, I will tell you clearly that uh, the, the 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 potential um, you know influence or, or the influence of a potential peace point could uh, you know undermine jeopardize yes. uh, the efforts of a collective I mean yes. the efforts of even government itself yes. as far okay. as peace and conflict is concerned yes. and, and so they are a critical factor yes. and, 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 and when we do our planning and all of that uh, so so my own theoretical background or um, academic background has helped so yes. much in understanding yes. uh, how to manage you know, potential peace spoilers yeah. because of of the overreaching implications of their nefarious activities yeah. for peace and conflict. So, so it implies. So it implies. This is quite interesting because it implies that you're coming in with uh, an academic background into an area that is quite volatile and open to various changes. How have you been able to actually uh, do that to? 
to 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 have between uh, the academic and the more real life experience of conflict mm. most especially in plateau state where we're doing we're looking at plateau state for now mm. but i think the context of plateau state brings us to a general uh, african context could, could yes. In some yes. Ways, uh, yes even though the context may differ from may, one they may differ but to yes the they, but, but the, the, the the reality is that uh, like like i've told you earlier on um the the academic uh, background yes. uh, uh, and orientation they had mm. It's very, very, very um, uh, impactful in terms of how we design, you know, our interventions. Mm -hmm. uh, we know the importance, for example, of strategic conflict assessment. I mean, and the importance of evidence-based kind yes. of intervention. I mean, beyond the whole uh, question of our assumptions, mm -hmm. often untested, yeah. and sometimes even poisonous. Beyond the question of our sentiments and our emotions. We have a social problem that yes. we really have to find a solution yeah, to. Yes. And in our quest to finding that solution, we have to be realistic with the options. And of course, we need to be also, we need to be scientific in, yes, in the approach. Yes, yes. Not, it's not the way I want it to be. Mm. It's not about my sentiments, it's mm. about how much of uh, uh, durability of the solution yes, we are yes, looking yes, yes. And how much it's able to, for example, you know, transform the very conditions that engender violent conflict. Yes. So in doing that, we have to really fall back to science. True. Uh, we have we have to collect data. Yes. We have to analyze data the way it is, not the yes. way we want it to be. Yes. And in even you know you know gener analyze generating analyzing the data, we have to follow scientific procedures mm. so that we are not subjective. Yes. You know, at the end of the day, the outcome of such a, an academic exercise, a scientific exercise, will lead to the development of a policy. Uh, exactly. So a policy that has the potential of you know resolving a certain complex, knotty social problem. In that respect, yeah. uh, so 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 without this background, I think it would have posed a significant yes, challenge yes, yes. to how yes. we work and how yes. we go about our work and all of that. So it makes it much more easier. We we, we advise, for example, the governor here of Plateau State yes. on virtually monthly basis. Yes. There is a policy brief yes. that is written and shared with the governor, submitted yes. to the governor, yeah. based on evidence, hmm. based on evidence, not based on not based on what what mm. we 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 want people mm. to think yeah. or what what aligns with our own sentiments yes, or yeah. own emotions yeah. far from it so so it's been very helpful in that respect yeah so now it's quite interesting because your masters and your phd work have been basically around conflict now uh, african news wants to look at issues of these contrasts where african scholars and African scholarship seems to come into conflict, most especially, or what we call Southern scholarship, or the, the, the Global South and the Global North. What in your view, you have been in the Global North, you have schooled in the Global North, and you're practicing in the Global South. <laughs> so I know, I know for one, we all have those experiences. What have been the complications with scholarship and at the same time, work within the global north and the global south for you for instance yeah yes. um, um, that's that's a very that's a very important question yes. um, uh, for one i mean i haven't finished my phd yet yes you're, you're still uh, on it you're still on the phd I, I but, into, I, but your yeah. work has been quite <laughs> based on conflict yeah. and all of this yeah, yes. yeah yeah but my master's actually is on peace and decentralized uh, yes. international cooperation of mm. course uh, in, in the western uh, i mean I got that from uh, spanish university yes um the reality is that there is so much that we can 
learn from yeah. the Western frame. Uh, but the whole idea of replicating the Western frame in our local context is 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 um, is a fluke. I mean, I, I wouldn't think that what is applicable in the Western world must be applicable in our society. I think I think that is where your work yes poses because you are now more in the practical area. Yes, you're coming back. Well, and this definitely is holding you back with your PhD because you are now practicalizing this work as the director general of the peace building agency. So, what are your experiences and what? Do you think the West has can be faulted in trying to resolve African conflict with the mentality of Western thinking? I, I think that is, um, I mean, this Eurocentric kind of an approach okay. uh, to deal with African problems hasn't, you know, delivered any result. Okay. Okay. Mm. Uh, like, and that's why I started by saying that there are lessons that we can actually draw from their own experience, yeah. right? The, the the, but applying that dominant thinking yes. as if it's some kind of a magic wand yeah. in a context that is totally different, yeah. completely historically, yes. geographically, yes. and socially and yes. politically different. I mean, uh, <laughs> it suggests to me that and we are perhaps being too ambitious or being very insincere in yeah, approach. Okay. Um, uh, African society is a distinct mm. society. Mm. We have our nuances, mm. we have our values, we have our norms that are totally different from what that is what is obtainable. What is ideal in the Western world may not be ideal here. In, what yes, is a yes. conformity in the Western world may not be a conformity. In fact, it might be a taboo in this part of the world. So how do we... That, uh, that delicate balancing yes. act, and, mm. and, and you know the, your your judgment, your ability to you know to to analyze things yes. the way they are, mm. you know, and then to apply wisdom and to apply your knowledge to it, uh, contextually speaking, yes. I think means a lot. And I think for us uh, at, at the level of peace building agency, I think that has has helped significantly. Okay. Have there been uh, any practical for... experiences in your case, most especially dealing with plateau state in Nigeria? For, for instance, yeah, you know, for, for example, I mean, I, I, we talked about peace spoilers, for example. Yes, if someone yes. told you, uh, peace spoilers, uh, exactly. yes, yes. Let, let, me, let me talk about it. There are peace spoilers in traditional institutions, okay. There are peace spoilers in, uh, in, in religious institutions, wow. there are peace spoilers yes. in government, yeah. There are peace spoilers in civil society. No, what what there are, are peace these spoilers? Peace spoilers so, now? these are people who would usually cash on. The vulnerability of a system and take take advantage of it to their own end. Okay. And some of them actually could even could even could even orchestrate a violent conflict mm. uh, because the more the instability, the more the chaos, the yes. more they smile to the back. Yes. Yes. These are peace spoilers. So, but people, how, how just want to constitute? How, how do these people smile to the banks? It's, it's, it's quite interesting. They do. They point do they smile to the banks. I mean, even sometimes getting money from even international non-governmental organizations. So wow. There are people who are called upon to negotiate. You know, uh, so peace. They, they sometimes they inflame even conflict. They inflame conflict. On the, I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, flip the other side of the coin. They're yes. the ones negotiating peace. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, so because I mean, if they do not inflame conflict or generate conflict, somehow, somehow, uh, their fears of influence perhaps may not even be appreciated, oh, okay. or not, may not even be recognized mm. in that respect. So um, they are there doing what they have to do, mm. uh, undermining government, undermining NGOs, undermining the church, undermining the peaceful agency, undermining anybody, everybody. But sometimes there's also an incentive for such people. I've learned over okay. the years okay. to bring them in and raise the incentive for peace as opposed to incentive for chaos. So, so and basically, instability. they have their 
their own value. <laughs> even, even though their nuisance value might be more. I mean, but the reality is that if you do not ask the thing about peace building, yeah. it has to be an inclusive process. Okay. So if you don't bring them on the table yes. and allow them to buy a stake in the process, yes. they feel marginalized, alienated, they undermine the process, the process at the end of the day. So what have you done? <laughs> so the best you can do is bring mm. them in, let them be a part of the process, let them yeah. have take, let them have that sense of belonging. Yes. Right? We want your buy-in for the process to be sustained. If not, you're wasting your time. Now, how do you transcend these problems? Because I know maybe Western donors might not be interested in hearing you working with these conflict spoilers themselves. Or these 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 spoilers. So how do you now manage the relationship or the dynamic between foreign donors who think that you should follow a certain ethical and, and that's dimension? That, that is where the problem is. That is where you have that tension usually. Yes. Those who have this ideal frame yes. work yes. from the outside and yes. assuming they were thinking that they can borrow that frame and apply it in a local context. Often it doesn't work. Do you, I mean, ask yourself this question. How yeah. much has gone into the post-conflict last week? Yes. For example, how much has gone into that? Yes. Uh, without any tangible results, mm. right? Yeah. It's because of these mistakes and errors and, and this misconception or understanding. So do you think the frames come from outside? trying to fix themselves into often the yes, dynamics. Of course, I mean there are terms and conditions for yes. you to be able no, yes. I mean for you to be able to um, uh, uh, access Western funds. Yes. Uh, there, there are terms and conditions and yes. often is that look, we have this reporting temp template yes. and we wanted to do this, we wanted to do that and so yes. at the end of the day all of this thing constitute or rather are more of it are more of stringent conditionalities yes. that yes. don't really apply. I mean mm. so at the end of the day you realize that NGOs and and, uh, and even agencies who are receiving such funding yes. are just doing things to please the donors as yes. opposed to mm. doing things that will bring impact or transform, you know, potentially dangerous conflict situations yes. in our locality. Mm. So, so basically, you have a situation where uh, locally you're trying to build a methodology and a process that will work within the context of the problem yeah. that you have here. And then, unfortunately for you, there is a funder who wants, who thinks he knows everything, and he wants to bring in his own dimension. That is, I would say, with all sense of responsibility, yes. uh, you know, that <coughs> manifestation of that Western arrogance sometimes when it comes to donor funding and, yes. and all of that, mm. uh, and, and it hasn't helped. Unfortunately, it hasn't. Has that affected peace building in some in ways? Yes, it has. Yeah. I, I mean, I go. I mean, to a donor with my own template on what needs to be done to yes. deal with a situation or to respond to the situation. Yes. To respond. I mean, to enhance the resilience, to mm. promote peace through the agenda of healing, reconciliation, and forgiveness. Yes. And they tell you, no, this is not what we want. We want it to be done this way. I'll give you an example. Uh, there is a program that is ongoing at the moment. It's funded by. A no, we're, we're not going to call I, any I, names. I wouldn't call any yes, actually yes. at the moment. And mm. and there are about four consultants yes. uh, who are earning huge amount of money yes. and all of them hired from a western country and they have never been to this country. Four, four consultants to work on psychosocial analysis, enhancing resilience and trauma healing all of that and they have no idea about the context. So how do they work? Well, sometimes of course in the era of COVID they tell you that we have to have you know a discussion 
online mm. and then let's assemble a number of you know psychologists uh, and, and, and all of that and uh, so they they <laughs> They, okay. they, 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 they assume that uh, you know they can, they can, they can show you the way. They assume you don't know anything. They assume you don't have the capacity. They assume that you are limited. They assume that they are the experts and yeah. all of that, and they want to apply all of that in you. But that becomes problematic. Exactly. Absolutely. That's the reason why I told you we kept going in cycles because yeah. we have not been able to achieve anything over the years because of this kind of a mindset. And I think it needs to change. But I, I like some some of the Western countries' approach also. There are some who are very flexible. They tell okay. you, give us your plan, for example. I mean, yeah. What do you think can be done to foster mutual understanding yes. and cooperation between yeah. conflict parties? Yeah. What we can do to transform, you know, potentially dangerous conflict situations? Yeah. What we can do, you know, to ensure that we have early warning signs mm -hmm. and the relevant agents are able to respond mm -hmm. to these early warning signs? Mm -hmm. Just give us a plan. And we've done that. And I think one or two agencies, international agencies. Interestingly, you talked about uh, COVID, the COVID era. Yeah. What was the experience, your personal experience, and actually the experience of the agency during the COVID uh, periods, most especially in 2020? Yeah, it was tough for one. I mean, because of the lockdown, because of restrictions, and I mean, COVID has disrupted ongoing peace building processes so yeah. much that okay. at the end of the day, uh, some of them are still hanging somehow, I would say, in a sort of a limbo, really. Uh, because of COVID, and uh, COVID has also um, limited uh, access to funding too. Uh, you know, in the past, I could just drive to Abuja, go to you know an international donor agency, yeah. you know, what if you have a discussion? And now it's very difficult, increasingly becoming difficult to even get an appointment. Uh, they tell you, oh, well, we can have a meeting on Zoom and all of that, but it's not the same, you know. Really, yes. uh, what you're able to communicate, even by your gesticulations and all of that, uh, yes, yes, uh, yeah. it's uh, that that. That advantage is no longer there, so okay. it's difficult really to make a case so virtually. So, what were you to, able? To, what were you able to do as an agency? Absolutely, not, uh, not, not much. Uh, not much. Uh, we were basically restricted. The best we could limit ourselves to, or um, I mean, is essentially you know telephonic conversations, yes. potential or rather you know, major stakeholders, yes. communities, community mm. leaders, mm. youth group leaders, yeah. and all of that. So we're communicating essentially by phone. Uh, we also developed some peace messages and also playing out, playing them out on the radio and TV to encourage, you know, peaceful and harmonious coexistence of all ethno-religious groups in the state, yes. uh, you know, and, and stuff like that. So it was it, it disrupted a lot, but yes. but thankfully, uh, you know, with with, with the uh, new developments, I mean, yes. to a large extent, I wouldn't say COVID has disappeared. It hasn't. Yeah, it's, it's still, still there. It's but, still there. But, uh, but, uh, it's more movements and engagements uh, yes. compared to the last two years. Mm. So, by implication, uh, the COVID era was more or less uh, a downturn for for peace building in Plateau State. It was a downturn, for peace but would you say that uh, it completely stopped any initiatives? Um, at the peak of it, yes. At the peak of it, I mean, all the dialogue sessions that we were supposed to have uh, in some of these local governments that have been affected adversely by, by you know, uh, violent conflict or herdsmen, farmer conflict and all of that, yeah. uh, we've not been able to have physical contact, of yeah. course. Uh, so, it does affect it. And some we, of them got well, apprehensive yes. and were thinking that they've been abandoned. Only God knows how many of them went back uh, to the bush and mobilized. And yeah. Because there have been attack. cases of violent yeah, exactly, attacks exactly. once in, in a while. Exactly. You, so you have one of them. Yeah. yeah, so it, it disrupted truly. Um, 
but but immediately we had a leeway. We were able to start and reject the process, and, and I think there are so many ongoing processes at the moment. We were yeah. able to sign a couple of uh, peace agreements in some places, and as okay. to a lull in hostility. Yeah. Uh, we've been able to, you know, to to, to negotiate an agreement, uh, you know, that is ongoing in, in one or two places. Also, yeah. that has been quite helpful. We're looking to further consolidate on the gains of such engagements. Yeah. So it's been quite helpful. So, uh, well, I know this is not just your purview because basically you are you are more of uh, in charge of uh, peace building in Plateau State, but we have a larger Nigerian problem. And you, you, had, you had alluded to the issue of uh, farmer herder conflict. And we have cases of farmer herder conflicts, not just in Plateau State, but we have them in a lot of places in northern Nigeria and in southern Nigeria. In your view, as a, both a practitioner and as an academic, what has been the problem with uh, interventions, most especially by academics, in terms of managing these no, issues? No, I, I think seriously, I mean, to be fair to the academia, I mean, there isn't any shortage of analysis in terms of the causality. You believe there's no shortage? I don't think there's any shortage of analysis in terms of our understanding of what this problem is. I mean, look, it's just one typical example of what I would call an environmentally induced conflict, isn't it? I mean, you have two groups of people or communities who are, you know, competing for resources that are increasingly becoming scarce. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Because of climate change, because of urbanization, because of uh, population explosion and a yes. host of other factors. Yes. Yeah? All of these problems yes. require a solution, and the solution yes. must come from government in most cases. Yes, yes. And government, in, I mean, to a large extent, has failed over the years yes. in providing, mm. you know, alternatives to all of this. And then government today will talk about ranching, for example, or talk about Ruga and all of that. Mm. Interestingly, most of these problems, I mean, most of these solutions seems to also create another form of apprehension in some quarters, right? Yeah. For us in, in Plato, yes. for example, they will say, look, as far as they are concerned, you know, the ranching policy, yeah. uh, you know, it's a subterranean ploy on the part of the government, yeah. you know, to formalize land tenure mm. rights for an alien minority. Some felt the government is only determined to confiscate people's mm. lands and appropriate it, you know, to the full lines and all of that. But in reality, it is not. That is not truly yes. a fact. But so a lot of work needs to be done. Yeah, uh, conflict sensitivity needs to go into the whole process of consultations and, and discussions and formulation and implementation of policies, right? And, and things like that. So um, we know the problem, but whether the political will is there for us to address it is an open question. Okay. But I do not think that academia has failed in determining or rather in defining. The problem. I've led, read a lot of literature. No, but, but so much work has been done. It still brings us back to about yes about you know what this problem is all about yes, and, and, and yes. what needs to be done and all of that. But uh, the academia, perhaps you know, they may have a solution, but they can't implement the solution because it's not in their place to implement the solution. But it still brings us back to the argument of uh, the north and the south in terms of the global north and the global south. In terms of the question, do you think, in your view? that African problems, such as conflict and all, and all this, require just African solutions? Absolutely. I think I do. Okay. But whether there are lessons we can draw from other parts of the world, yes, I think so. Yeah. Globalization has brought our lives closely together to a large extent. Yes. Yes. Uh, again, but we must come to terms with one reality. What is applicable in one part of the world must not be applicable in our own world. Yes. Yeah? So how do we, you know, um, contextualize some of the lessons, yes. you know, and things like that. Yes. 
so, so the whole idea of, for example, transplanting democracy yes. in every part of the world, I, I, I think <laughs> we need to rethink that because there, there, are, there are societies that by their history and nature are absolutely undemocratic. Yes. Truly. We've seen it over and over, not just in Africa, in other mm. parts of the world as well. Yeah. So, uh, 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 we need to be very circumspect about the conversation and, and our ideas and, and what we think we know. The whole idea that I know better than you, yes. uh, and I, it is in the typical, you know, African setting. Yes. He who wears the shoes she knows where he pinches. Yes, yes. Uh, so I mean, it's, it's very hard. I mean, I, I wouldn't know of any form of arrogance and somebody living outside and telling me that he knows your my roof here is leaking, that yes. place is leaking and that place is leaking, uh, it doesn't make much sense because it's, it's also disrespectful. But you also gave the example of a, a donor who brings in consultants from yes, outside exactly. who don't know anything exactly. about the problem. The company. He has no idea. Yes. Yeah, but yes, he's giving consultancy and he's based in another part of the world and doing this job, you know, and, and he's supposed to be some kind of a, a partnership arrangement with the Plateau City Peace Building Agency. And I've raised questions of, about that over and over again. At some point, I have to keep quiet because if I push further, I stand the risk of losing the little I get to do other jobs. Yes. You know, because at the end of the day, if I don't get that, where do I get money from to yes. do my work? But then I think it also transcends into the academia. African academics will have the similar problems trying to discuss African problems and then Western arguments will now come to play I, in I African know, problems. I, know, I agree with you totally heavily. I mean, the whole uh, thinking that even your articles or your publications must fit into the dominant Western thinking itself yes. is an affront to African scholarship. But again, at the end of the day, we don't have the resources. Uh, so sometimes you find yourself making compromises simply because you have to get that grant and yes. things like that. But I, whether that is right, I, I, I don't think so. I, I think, think there, right. there, 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 there was a discussion about yeah. African scholars and their writing. Yeah. I had, there was an experience, there was an interview I had and the discussion was on the issue of even journal writing. Uh, getting access or getting published in an, in an international journal or a Western journal by an African scholar. What has been your experience with that? <laughs> Getting appreciated by Western journals. It, it's very difficult, truly. Yes. Very, very difficult. I mean, African scholarship is, is, I wouldn't think it's pretty much respected by the Western scholars, truly. Yeah. Except if it fits into their own paradigm. Okay. Uh, over and over again, we've seen it, right? I mean, so, uh, look, I, the experience, I mean, one of the reasons why I've been able to even finalize my own PhD, and yes, it has a lot yes. to do with that as well. Okay, the argument of... People don't yes. even know yes. that, uh, you know, I went to an elite university, okay. the equivalent of, of, of Harvard yes, in Germany. Yes. Okay. And so political science department, of course, a structured PhD. Yes. But one that is, you know, in terms of uh, methodology, yes. it's absolutely predicated in science. It's it's quite interesting. I think I think so, I think I think we will have to discuss this in a more expansive level <laughs> yeah. because the problem of methodology yeah. is this thing. Uh, I I had a discussion previously with uh, another person on the issues of methodology and the issues that there is always a conflict between what African scholarship thinks is methodology and what the West thinks uh, is absolutely. methodology. Can you please expand on that? So, please? <laughs> but but I mean you, you I mean you've already no I know I I know I, so I yes. The way you conceive of knowledge, yes, 
your understanding of the nature of knowledge, yes. epistemology and ontological yes. understanding, um, it's, it's quite different okay. from the Western society. Yes. Unfortunately, I mean, if you're studying a PhD in a Western society, mm. it has to be knowledge defined from the Western viewpoint yes. as opposed to knowledge defined by your own historical experience. Yes, yes. And so it's very difficult to reconcile that. Okay. And, and I leave that experience. Okay. I lived it. So what, what and, was your experience? And, and, no, experiences that look up, I, I was finding it very difficult because the orientation I had scientifically is totally different from yes. what I found there. Yes. You know, you're doing political science as if you're doing further mathematics. <laughs> further mathematics. Exactly. I mean, yes. so this interaction of variables. Yes. Yeah. And the ability to show, you know, what influences what in a scientific yes, yes. way and all of that. And, and I think blah, 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 blah. it's very far from what it, we as totally political scientists we, or historians we are much more open. Yes. I mean, our orientation is actual research. Yes. Mm. Your interpretation of social reality and how yes. you're able to present it, yes. establishing the problem with a view to elucidating yes. a solution, recommendation, yes. a solution to it. Yes, yes. That is not. The way it is yes. for them, it's about testing hypotheses and even testing hypotheses. There are endless open questions, yeah, leading often to nowhere, as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, so, 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 I find it a bit complicated, a bit complex, mm. and, uh, and I think that, that delayed my own decision. Yes. Of course, uh, hopefully by end of this year. Yes, but in, in, interestingly, that, that 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 is quite interesting because I think you're not the only person with this issue. I've, I've, I've seen, uh, I've, I've had the discussion with a historian, a Nigerian historian, who, who actually did her PhD in, uh, in South Africa. And that was one of the problems. In fact, one of her biggest challenges was not even about her PhD. Yes, it was not even about her PhD, but was more or less about, was more or less about uh, her, her, her attempt to write a paper was more or less about at her attempt to write a paper, uh, to write to, to write a paper on, on a, a, in in, a, in an American journal. Yeah. And the problem she had as a historian was that the view of the journal editors about history varied from her own view about history. They were telling her that history should not be as contemporary as she was writing it. I'm asking you. Do you think political science should be as cerebral or the demand for hypothesis and for more of philosophical thinking is rather than more practical real life experience should be? I think all matters. All of them. All of them matter. All of them matter. But, but, but the reality is that yes. from your standpoint, yes. what works for you? Okay. I think should be encouraged. Uh, what works for you yeah, and, what and, works, and, yes. and, and how you develop and disseminate knowledge should equally be respected. Okay. African science, uh, African uh, you know, scientific methodology should equally be respected uh, uh, as well I mean, as, as uh, European uh, you know, political science okay. methodology. So, so, what, so. What, you, what you are implying is that there is a restrictive boxing in of knowledge and so they don't allow uh, a sort of free thinking within. But you're a, you're a historian, I should tell you more about this. You know, the whole history of postcolonial writing. Yes, yes. Prior to. No, I, 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 I understand, but you know, as a historian, I'm limited sure. by. Because this is a new exp new discussion that I'm having <laughs> with you concerning the issue. Because I, I, 
some people will argue the issue of hypothesis. I'm a historian. I don't believe in hypothesis. Absolutely. I don't. I don't. I don't look into hypothesis. You know, mm. there are different methodologies, right? Yes. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, but the, the reality is that hypothesis testing yes. seems to be much more in vogue, or something that is seen to be much more valuable in Western, you know, social science research. Yes. You know, compared to what you find in this part of the world, which is more of actual research. Yes. Yeah. And the idea is that, you know, for them it's inductive reasoning, generalization, and and all of that stuff. But, you know, for me, uh, it's about the facts and the, what you about, do with about the facts. producing so, solutions even grounded theories yes. is essential. I mean, from what you've been able to gather, you can form your own theory yes. and things like that. Yes. But I, well, I mean, ethnography, for example, I mean, for some political scientists in the Western world, is is not a methodology. Yeah, but it's basically. Yeah? For, for example, well, I mean, for, for me, a historian, I will look at it and, and I will like it. Exactly, but, but for them, political scientists, yeah, what, what the heck is this? I don't understand. Not all political scientists, I would say. I mean, yes. there are yes. people who you know believe in this multivariate. Yes. Yes. approach and mm, respect mm. Uh, and I wouldn't say everybody in the Western world or every scholar thinks like that yes. far from it but mm. it, it seems to be I mean appears to be more like a dominant thinking yeah uh, a dominant approach yes. and, and if, if I were to write a PhD from the point of view of African you know methodology I think I'll have written 10 PhDs by now yeah. truly so but but ten, then but, <laughs> but 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 because you you are literally it's a structured PhD yes. you know and you want it to you know, to fit into a particular frame, yes. it has to be this way and things like that. And, and I was just wondering, okay, so what is the value addition for me? So, so, but that is the question. What is the value addition? What do we get out of it? Does Western scholarship, most especially concerning Africa, seems to benefit more for the West than for Africans themselves? <laughs> I think more for the West. <laughs> because they because if more, we box in... Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yes. They, they try to make sense of it, or perhaps uh, give them some sense of satisfaction. I don't know, truly, but uh, uh, we 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 also have our challenges, right? Yes, we, 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 do, we, we do, we don't, do. We don't, we don't, we do. Uh, we're not, we don't pay much attention to research. Anyway. In fact, in fact, it's an we interesting don't, thing because we, don't, we, don't, we look at how much, how much do we invest exactly. in the research? So I, 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 I would ask the question as an African scholar. I would rather apply for a Western scholarship or a Western fellowship. Than to apply for an African scholarship, uh-huh. uh, I've, I've known. It's more lucrative, right? Yes. Yeah, apart from stuff. it being more lucrative, <laughs> the issue is it's easier by merit yeah. to get a Western fellowship or a Western scholarship than by merit getting an African scholarship. Yeah. Because yeah. in many in many cases, because we, we, because we are too poor. They say so. I don't believe we are very poor <laughs> uh, because our priorities basically is yes. not about research and development. Yeah. And I think. If we want to industrialize, we want to develop, we want yes. to advance, and mm. we have to begin to pay a lot of attention yes. and commit a lot of resources mm. to research. Mm. Yes. And I think that is one thing that the Western world seems to have, uh, you know, far above, uh, you know, yes. above us in Africa. Unfortunately, the audio misbehaved for a second, but Henry asks Joseph about local initiatives to fund research, and in particular, the Nigerian TED Fund, the Tertiary Education Trust Fund. It's a fund that had actually been allocated a lot of funds to provide academics with work and uh, yes. So what do you think? Very commendable. I mean, they've done a lot. I think if you take the statistics, I will tell you the TED fund has produced uh, yeah. over. I think by statistics, close to two hundred PhDs. Okay. From what I learned the last time, I yes. don't have the facts, but that's yes. what I had. Uh, in, in, in the university, for example. Yeah. Um, 
Plateau State University, so many PhDs yes. have been produced by Tedfon. I mean, you wouldn't have had this number of PhD holders yes. uh, without such uh, endowment. I mean, uh, tertiary yeah. uh, education, yeah. uh, you know, uh, uh, fund yeah. uh, that has been very, very helpful. I think if, if we, we need to, to build on uh, the the successes of Ted Fund, we, we need more uh, investments in the yeah. education. Mm. We need more investment in human capital development, yeah. uh, as as far as as, as uh, you know, development is concerned. Because I mean, the university is a very, 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 very critical. Uh, segment of our own society or population. That's why it's called the Ivory Tower. You have a set of people out there who are thinking ahead on behalf of the society. Yeah. So it means that they need to be comfortable, they need to be given all the incentives and uh, all the leverages they can find yeah. to really yeah. develop knowledge yeah. that is useful yeah. to the society. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's, this still boils down to the discussion in general. But there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's what we call the coloniality of research and uh, being that we're African scholars so one other being that we're we're African scholars do we think do you think as a scholar and as a practitioner in in conflict that there is a sort of coloniality or colonialism of academia in Africa I mean, some have argued that I mean if, if our political politics is still subservient to Western interests Yes. So also is our academic yes. Wow. So <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Every aspect. I mean, when when you when when Kwame Nkrumah talked about decolonizing the mind, I think yes. he 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 saw right into the future. He understood, you know, the overreaching implications of, you know, uh, being dominated yes. indirectly. Yes. You know that the international political order is not in favor of African society, even though we claim to be independent. Yes. Uh, we decolonize on paper, yes. Yes. Uh, but in reality, we are not. We are absolutely dependent on virtually everything. There are how many how many books come from the Western world to the African society? Like donations, yes. books, even yes. books. We can buy books. Yeah. Books are still being donated. Well, from the Western world to yes, our libraries, yes, high institutions, yes. in the university, in polytechnics, and, and the college, colleges of education, and all that, right? So, what does that tell you? So that means that most of the books we read exactly. are, are actually what, what, Western. What, why is it that we find it even more, you know, fancy to go out there to steal? I mean, to Western universities to be a PhD and to be a master's. If I'd done my PhD here, for example, many years back, and, uh, and somebody who went, or you who went to Oxford and, and, and one, one time and came back, and uh, for example, with your master's, or perhaps you went to, came back with a PhD, yeah, you'd yeah. be seen as more, uh, more uh, prestigious, no, 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 this, this more prestigious uh, than, than what, I have, what, what I have obtained. Or but is it, is it about know, the prestige? And, and, so, yeah, yeah, but that's how we see it, right? Because of up to today, the African is still unable to decolonize the mind. We still assume and think that anything that is Western is more important, more valuable, yeah, yeah? more prestigious than yeah. what is indigenous. We don't have to talk about I mean, in virtually every aspect of our lives, yes. by every conceivable standard, anything outside is more valuable than anything indigenous, including scholarship but yeah. but I, but, I, but i think that even with that african scholarship has attempted to be a bit independent what do you think they have attempted a couple of yeah i mean because of the pioneering work of some you know uh, you know uh, 
individual scholars in the past, the Alima Zuri's, for yes. example, yes. you know, the Kwame Krumas, of course, yes. who yes. have laid that foundation, and, yes. and whether we are building on it is an open question. I mean, they've done a lot, truly, and I must mm. comment the, the, the sacrifices mm. and the commitment they've made, uh, you know, they've put into, you know, mm. um, and helping uh, Africa really mm. to have uh, a say uh, in, in international scholarship or, in, or on the international stage. But there's still a huge gap. We still have a long way to go, I think. Yeah. Uh, by my own thinking, my own understanding, I, uh, a lot of work needs to go yeah. into uh, decolonizing even you know, academics, yes. It's very, very key. Uh, I'm quite encouraged by uh, people like Patrice Lumumba, Professor Patrice Lumumba, yeah. his works and, and all of that, and yeah. challenging a lot of things and testing and challenging a lot of poisonous assumptions about yeah. African scholarship and all that. And a couple of professors, even here in Nigeria, mm. who have done exceedingly well, Professor Wallace Yinka, yeah. you know, the Nobel Peace Prize, yeah. um, uh, Peace uh, Winner of 1986 in yeah. literature, and uh, you know, uh, a lot of them in different fields of endeavors who have, have, who have uh, you know, stood out and distinguished themselves by every conceivable standard. Uh, so, so we are encouraged by their work and we are hoping that uh, even young academics are able to, to take, up, take up the challenge yes, yes. and to, to, to push through new boundaries and frontiers of knowledge and, and to, to vindicate Africa. But what about, like, coming back to uh, peace building? To peace building and your own, your own, your, your own, your own expertise, uh, your your own, uh, your, your your own, your own expertise in this in this field. Mm. What do you think needs to be discussed? Well, I, <laughs> what do you think in terms of writing too? Because you're talking of a dearth of literature. So, for instance, you have done a lot of work. No, and it's commendable. There's a lot of peace-building work that you have done, both in Plateau State and even nationwide. You have brought out a lot of uh, uh, policy documents and all of that. How much of that is published and available to Africans and to the scholar and, and, to, and to the scholar to, to scholarship in Africa? I wouldn't say much, truly. I mean, because we are not very good in documenting our experiences, unfortunately. But mm. we are making an attempt to break from that, you know, dangerous uh, yeah. uh, precedence. Um, so do you blame I, the West now? No, no, I wouldn't blame the West. If the West has to give all. us what we are No, not at all. I wouldn't blame the rest, the yeah. West in this mm. case. I'd blame ourselves. Yes. Um, uh, we need to do more uh, in terms of uh, sharing knowledge, mm. documenting our experiences. Yeah. We are repeating the same mistake I realized that our forefathers have made, and that's the reason why when some Western scholars came into Africa some years back, they said yeah. Africa has no sense of history. Yes, right? yes, yes. And so we need, to, we need to really reverse that kind of thinking. Um, at the level of the peace building agency, for example, I mean, you talk about policy documents. Yes. The only strategic document yes. ever developed by any subnational government yeah. in Nigeria within yeah. the last seven years. Yeah that was endorsed, unveiled, and launched by the President of the Federal Republic of Nigeria yes. is the Plateau State Roadmap to Peace. And what did that entail? And it's a five-year strategic plan, a blueprint, and we are saying that beyond the rhetoric of the creation of the Plateau State Peace Building Agency, yes. we have a guide, right? It's a plan that was painstakingly put together by a wide range of stakeholders, including the civil society organizations, mm -hmm. 
people from the academia, from the traditional institutions, from security agencies, yes. faith-based organizations, community-based organizations. Yes. Right, bringing all their experiences and their knowledge to bear mm. in putting in putting, uh, rather putting that you know, document, yes. yeah, you know, together. Yes. And the, the president came to Plateau State and yes, launched yes, it. Yes, yes, we have it. We still have the electronic version and also the 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 the, the hard copies, yeah. which are very few because we yes. don't have much money. Yes. We should have a lot of. So, but, but so the, that's the, where the these are the, the challenges. Exactly. So, so now we don't even the have common money. man we don't, on the street he doesn't have it. Doesn't have it because we don't have the money to publish it, you know, in large numbers, so that we can share it out to uh, the common people out there yeah. to be able to relate, uh, to go through it, and to see uh, how much we have documented our experiences in that document. But doesn't it yeah. raise the question of the fact that we ourselves are more or less the problem of of of, 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 our, of our system, both academics and in terms of. Uh, of 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 of, 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 of uh, social uh, structuring and social engineering. In some ways, I agree with you totally that we are the architects of our misfortune. Yeah. Okay. In some ways, but again, I mean, to understand why we are what we are today, I mean, you couldn't really ignore our history, where we are coming from, where we've been, our collective experiences of horror. Okay. In every sense of the word, socially, economically, and politically. Then you understand, but truly, yes, we have a problem, and somebody will say, "But yes, sixty years down the drain." No, but that—that's that, my question. That, is, that has always been my argument as a historian. I say, "Well, we have had the opportunity to train ourselves these sixty yes. years." But there are a lot of forces that are acting against Africa. You know that. <laughs> I don't want to argue about the forces yeah, exactly, but because there the the, the, so, needs to be evidence. So, so, so even even the bad ones, the bad leaders that are foisted on us in some ways. I mean, think about military rule mm. over the years. I mean, how it, who propped these military regimes somehow? Yes. External influences. Yes. Things like that. I'm not saying, I mean, for me to really fall back to these external influences and explain our failures, I mean, it sounds somewhat simplistic. Pedestrian and escapist. Yes. You know, and things yes. like that. Of course, we have a problem, truly. We need to look, look inward and yes. tell ourselves the truth. Look, we are failed, we are failed, mm -hmm. right? But yes. again, like I've said, you cannot, you are unable to x ray. Analyze Africa's problem without truly appreciating its history. Okay. Mm. So I think why we think the way we think yes. today, why we mm. act the way we act today, mm. yes. and all that yes. is contingent upon, upon our collective experiences. Yes. Yes. So by implication, we are saying that. Uh, Although we we still find ourselves caught up in this, we still need to argue and look into the past. For me, my argument has always been that no matter how much we look into our past, the future seems to be an opportunity for us to fight. Absolutely, but I mean, you couldn't craft the kind of future you want without also looking back at the past. We don't have to dwell in our on our past. Yes. Lessons that can be drawn must be drawn. Yes. Truly. Yes. In crafting the kind of future we want to, we have to be reminded by that past. Oh, okay. And that's the reason why, while we are forward-looking, we need from time to time to look back so that we don't fall into the same movie traps yeah. that waits us. That 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 waits us. So, what is the future for the Plateau State Building Agency? And I'll say, what is the future for you? For the Plateau State Building Agency, I pray that, you know, I, I, I am the pioneer 
director general. I hope it outlives us. Yes. I hope we we build an institution that outlives everyone. Yes. Uh, that the, the next set of people who are coming, the next team will be able to build and consolidate yes. the gains we have made. Yes. Uh, it's very critical. It's very 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 strategic mm. for the future of the state in terms yeah. of peace and security. Yeah. And I also hope that uh, you know uh, all the lessons we've learned would be well documented to help guide those who are coming yes. from behind. For me personally. Of course, I'm still a member of the academy after this. Yes, you still go back. I turn yes. back to the academics, and uh, hopefully, I, I should be able to put my acts together and get my PhD done. So, what I but what I, what I know your new interest. I I I believe that being uh, being with your experience with the Plateau Building Peace Building Agency, you have a more robust exposure to ideas and to research now that will add value. What do you think will be your way forward? I'm, I'm pretty much interested in uh, re, uh, uh, research, of course, of yes, yes. issues that speaks to governance. Like, because oh. there lies the problem okay. with our country uh, from every aspect of our lives. So, so governance is a big problem. Uh, is a big problem, I think. Uh, how do you address the question of governance and poor governance or bad governance? Uh, how, how do we craft a robust future for for our society, for our state, for Nigeria and Africa at large. Yes. I, I, if I if I told you that I know what I'm going to do immediately, I'm through this experience of life. I have a number of options. I haven't decided on what to do, but yes. the most important thing for me is to try to get um, through my PhD, and and, and, I, and, and, I, and I hope that this experience will be helpful to me. Okay. Uh, put it together and then uh, move on from there. Yes. Uh, so, so that's it. And above all, I just want to be happy. That's true. I mean, I just want to be very happy. Yes. Be happy with myself, and yes. I hope the world will be happy with me as well. And uh, I live a good life and live in good health. And, and I move on. That's it. So, uh, in terms of that, and in terms of conflict in Plateau State, what is your view? What will be the endpoint? Most especially with the new dimensions, most especially as it concerns farmer herder conflicts, kidnappings. There's a national problem. Yeah, there's a national problem, and some of these problems are totally outside the purview mm. uh, or outside the. Um, uh, what would I say? <laughs> it's, it's not something that the peace agency can resolve. No, well, I'm, I'm, I'm talking yeah, about yeah, your that, own views okay. now. In terms of your own views, it's a national malaise. The, the farmer had a conflict. I mean, something that can be addressed if the political will is there, if that sincerity of purpose is also there. Yes. Uh, the biggest elephant in the room, I will always say, is mutual suspicion and fear and distrust. Okay. Deal with it. And when you deal with it, then bring out, roll out an intervention framework yeah. that everybody can relate to. Okay. Both the herders and the farmers. They relate easily. Uh, then you don't have a problem. Mm. We are able to transform this problem. Yes. And I, I think the potential is very high. Mm. We, we can go on like this, uh, except if you want to, you know, be at home with this vicious cycle of violence. But that is the problem. Uh, uh, and we cannot be. Because there seems we, to be. We are not looking. It seems to, to be we are, unending. We are not looking to bequeath if a, a future of instability, yes. uh, you know, to our children, to be very irresponsible on our own part for our generation to such a very dangerous 
you know, legacy to our children or even generations yet unborn. But as an behoves academic, not, behoves, behoves, on us, behoves on us to find a lasting solution to this problem. I that think is it's, where, it's possible. That, that is where I'm asking for your academic viewpoint in that. The, the viewpoint, I mean, is simple, right? I mean, what, what causes herdsmen to encroach into farmlands? Like I've said earlier, you talked about the environmental. The, yeah, the yes. resources are becoming scarce. You know, the routes that they used to take, uh, you know, have been overtaken by farmlands, yeah. have been overtaken by you know houses and urbanizations and all yeah. of that. So we have to come to terms with these changes. There is something that is static in life. Change is the only thing that is a constant. So but our way of life needs to change. What so, is the new dynamic? So the the reality is that uh, the people who are transhuman need to change their lifestyles. They need to learn to be sedentary. Uh, they, they need to learn to coexist peacefully with their neighbors. And, uh, they need to really also um, scale up, at, you know, uh, uh, upgrade, if I may use that word, yes, say yes, Nigeria. Yes. Rather than, you know, pastoralism and moving from point A to point B, they have to be one place, they have to take advantage of technology, they have to enroll their children into schools, they have to become cosmopolitan. Because that is what the 21st century, or perhaps our generation, uh, mm. demands from them at this point. If not, we'll never get out of this problem. But it takes a lot of enlightenment, yeah. it takes a lot of awareness, yeah. it takes a lot of understanding for mm. us to be able to get to that point. Because yeah. the most dangerous conflict that you see in Africa is identity conflicts. When you tell somebody that your way of life is a key change, it sounds like an affront. Okay. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Exactly. I mean. Yes. So I'm a Christian. I'm a Muggable man, and somebody comes to come to tell me that look, your way of life is a cake. Change it. Yeah. Sounds like an insult. Yeah. So think about the Fulani man too. I mean, so you wake up one day and tell him, stop this, your movement. It is wrong. It is not right, and all of that. And the totality of his identity is defined. So approach matters. It matters. Approach so to. That's to, why I talked yes. about understanding. Yes. That's why I talked about enlightenment. Yes. That's what I talked about. You know, cooperation. Okay. All of these things are very crucial. Yeah. You know, to changing a certain lifestyle. Okay. Uh -huh. uh, but you you have to be very diplomatic about it. Yes. And you have to be. You have to do it with some love and affection mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. It's something that you don't. You, you, I mean, there isn't any revolutionary. Yes. Approach. To yes. It yes. Because it will boomerang. Yes. Basically, exactly. it's a, so, a, a, everybody. Everybody holds so on to his guns. Yes. Yes. What I've learned is that look. Uh, they are also victims, just yes. as just as the indigenous communities are victims. Yes. Uh, everybody in Nigeria has a sense of victimhood. That's one of the things I've learned. That's an yeah, interesting exactly. way to put so, it. Yeah, exactly. So you're ending with the fact that everybody in Nigeria has a sense it's of a victim. victimhood. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So it depends on whose side you are, yes. what you are listening so to. So on, on, on whose victim uh, you exactly are. Exactly. And yes. stuff like that. But the yes. most important thing, Yes. when and if we focus on our shared and common humanity, mm. then we are in a place and in a position to midwife yes. the rebirth yes. of a new, of a new yes. and a modern state. Yes. Thank you very much, Joseph. Thank you for listening to this Africa Knows podcast. If you want to know more, visit africanose.eu and we'll talk to you again soon.